Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson, and it is so exciting to have you here with us on our show today. Lockdown Blue Devils is your one-stop shop for all things Duke athletics. Thank you again for making us your first listen each and every day. It means a whole lot when you take the time to do that. Without further ado on today's program, Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk's Section 17 podcast has become a good friend of mine and someone that we've had on the program pretty much every week since the fall season has started. And Josh is back with us here today to talk about basketball, football, and a variety of other things going on in the world of Duke athletics. Josh, how was your Thanksgiving, man? It's good to have you back on the program. Thanksgiving was wonderful, man. There's nothing like uh, it's my favorite holiday, man. It's my favorite holiday. Eat some. I'm a smoker, so I smoke. Uh, I smoked our turkey uh, for our family, and uh, and then watch some football. And um, I, I said that Dallas uh, Raiders, the Cowboys Raiders game, um, it made up for that first game, the Bears and the Lions. So if you, <laughs> if you made it through the Bears and the Lions, you got rewarded by watching a pretty incredible. Uh, Raiders Cowboys game but all in all had a great uh, Thanksgiving man and thanks so much for having me on again without a doubt I mean so we've got the Thanksgiving holiday that comes and goes and I want to catch everybody up to speed on things that have happened uh, that we've already discussed on this podcast but from your perspective the next day is Black Friday everyone's super excited for that you're in you're out and it continues to be feast week in college basketball where they've got all of these big time matchups in Maui the battle for Atlantis ESPN events invite that they had this year. And then Duke had their heavyweight bout with Gonzaga Friday night in Las Vegas. The Blue Devils winning that one, 84-81. What were your biggest takeaways from Duke's win on Friday? Uh, The win versus Gonzaga, I think there are three things that I took away from it individually. Number one is the first half performance of Paulo Bencaro. Um, If anyone was wondering who the best player in the nation is, in my opinion, uh, he he silenced everyone with a 20-point first half. Um, and not only was it a 20-point first half, he was on fire. Uh, he, he knocked down shots behind the three-point line. He took the ball strong to the hole. His mid-range game was clicking. It was the best offensive performance that we've seen. Unfortunately, it only lasted the first half because he cramped up and was, was you know, pretty ineffective um, in the second half, which is crazy to think that we're playing against what everyone thought was the best team in the country. Right. Uh, against two big men with Holmgren and Timmy, uh, who can you know? Who are very good. Uh, all credit to those, to both of those guys. Uh, but to know that for extended minutes we played without Bancaro. So then the other two players <clears throat> that I take away from this game, Wendell Moore Jr. and I, that's just copy and paste that every game. I mean every single game when we need someone steady, when we need someone to hit a big shot, it's Wendell. And uh, and Wendell Moore Jr. was incredible. And then Mark Williams. I mean Mark was all over the place. Six blocks, seventeen points, just. Uh, an incredible performance for Mark Williams. And, uh, yeah, man, that game, I mean, if you think about it, Jeremy Roach struggled big time in that game, as did Trevor Kills. But um, both of those guys in crunch time, Kills picked up a couple of big fouls on their guys down in crunch time. And then Jeremy had that drive in the lane. And so you got to love that. You know, they struggled. Yeah. Their numbers aren't good. But at the end of the game, they're still willing to take the ball to the hole and, and finish. And so uh, an incredible win in front of – uh, mind you, the the largest crowd to ever 
watch a basketball game in the state of Nevada. Duke Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah. and had the likes of Brooks Kepka, Floyd Mayweather sitting courtside, a lot of other Blue Devil alumni in the building as well, and, and what a game it was. The backcourt, as you said, combined five for 24 shooting. Not great by any stretch of the imagination, but Roach had the big layup at the end, which was clutch, and uh, Trevor kills the defense and the hustle that he's always playing with and not afraid of the moment. And, again, these guys are just – not Roach, but these guys are freshmen that are stepping into the moment and uh, ready to take over for Duke basketball. Pretty amazing what they've been able to do. And then the cramps, obviously, being one of the bigger storylines that we've seen so far because in both the uh, Gonzaga and Kentucky game on the biggest stage, for whatever reason, it felt like that was an issue for Duke in the second half. Yeah, and uh, Jay Billis uh, in, in the Ohio State game was able to give us a little bit more information specifically on Paulo and that is that he just sweats so much that he loses, um, you know, so much from, from sweating that they've got to replenish him in a different way than a normal basketball player would. Um, and so I think he's learning his body a little bit. And that's kind of the cool thing about being a Duke basketball player is that yeah. something happens twice and they have science people like dialed in on what the issue is and they're going to figure out a way. I think we'll see that. Uh, that remedied um, here in, in the future for sure. Today's episode of Locked on Blue Devils is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. The holidays are around the corner and finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter college into the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entries like the world-famous bacon wrap filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use promo code COLLEGE, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package at omahasteaks.com today, and you'll get eight free burgers when entering the code COLLEGE. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword college. I took that to Locked on ACC this week, Josh. I told them about the report that came out during the Duke and Ohio State game. Uh, We're calling it the Palo plan because this guy loses seven pounds every time he plays basketball. And I'm sitting there thinking, I want to be on the Palo plan. That's incredible what that guy's able to get done. That's wild. Yeah, sign me up for that. I need to go out and play basketball right now. In fact, if I can <laughs> seven pounds doing that, then throw me a basketball. <laughs> All right, so we mentioned the Ohio State game. Obviously, Duke is number one in the country now this week after that win against Gonzaga, 7-0, and going into a big non-conference game before a two-week period where they do not play a single game whatsoever. Uh, Duke loses to Ohio State by five. The Buckeyes in the game on a 12-0 run and a 20-4 run after leading by as many as uh, 15 in the contest and leading by 13 at halftime. Terrible shots and uh, just couldn't buy a bucket in the second half was kind of the biggest thing for Duke in their first loss of the season to the Buckeyes, which is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it was a, a true road game, which is fine. You know, I know Carolina fans think Duke ought to play every every single non-conference game ought to be a road game, you know. <laughs> um, but it was it was a great environment, actually, for them to play in. 
Um, Ohio State's fans, shout out to them. I mean, that place was rocking. Uh, there was quite a bit of blue there, though, as well as as they would pan through the uh, yeah. Dogs. And I, I know there was a lot of Duke fans there as well, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you score twenty three points in the second half, you're not going to win a basketball game. That's just that just is what it is. And uh, even though we were up thirteen in the first half, uh, keep in mind Ohio State was not hitting their free throws at all. I mean, they were terrible uh, at the line. Uh, it was really an ugly game. I mean, both sides. It's not like Ohio State played above their heads and won this game. It was that both teams felt like they were struggling. Ohio State just had a little bit more grit to them and a little bit more will to win. And honestly, the scheme, I mean, Zed Key, they spread the floor in such a way that he was able to get post position in the middle of the lane and turn and shoot the ball before Mark Williams could really even uh, time his jump for a block shot. And so all, all credit uh, to Coach Holman there at, uh, at Ohio State. Uh, they were able to, I feel like, scheme their way into getting their big man, who reminded me a little bit of like a Jared Sullinger, the way he was yeah. built. Um, and he, you know, he could just move around. Uh, he had good footwork. And now he did have a career night. He had a career high, which, hey, if, typically when you play Duke and you beat Duke, somebody – has a career. You need high. something like that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we probably won't see that good of a performance for him the rest of the year. But then EJ Liddell, I mean, he was solid uh, as advertised, a great player. And you got to give credit to Ohio State. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, even though we were leading the game almost the entire time, um, they kept pushing. And then at the end there, we just couldn't buy a bucket. And I don't know if we're not careful, this offense is standing around and ISOing a little bit too much. And it reminds me of the RJ Zion season where I felt like we ISOed way too much. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, uh, we weren't getting Zion the ball in a position where he likes to score. And so I think the coaching staff is is going to work on this. We have two weeks off, I believe. Uh, But the coaching staff will work on finding where Paulo wants to score from, where he's good at scoring from, and then putting together sets to get him the ball where he can score. And I don't think his best scoring is at the top of the key going one-on-one, even though he can do that. Um, I'd like to find out through analytics, like where he scores the best, and let's get him the ball there, and let's work on running sets that are more than just double horns high. That's really – we either run the dribble handoff or double horns high. That's really the only two sets that we ever run. And I'd really like to see us do a little bit more there to to get guys the ball in a position to score more than just, hey, beat your man off the dribble. And it's just crazy because the first half was a great half of basketball for Duke on the road in Columbus. We mentioned sort of the inconsistencies offensively that Jeremy Roach has displayed in his Duke career. I thought that was one of his best halves of basketball that he played against Ohio State, going downhill, attacking, and that sort of thing. And then foul trouble obviously became a factor in the second half, almost as if that was the game plan for Ohio State, which is where you need to give them credit, but also – can kind of voice your frustrations with Duke, knowing that at the end of the day, Duke is still the better basketball team than Ohio State. Just on some days, they've got your number, their shots are falling in when it matters most, and Dukes aren't. Both Mark Williams and Theo John on the interior for Duke in foul trouble for the majority of the game. Paolo Bencaro, Wendell Moore Jr. had to battle with that. Uh, Theo finally fouls out, but Mark Williams, who we just praised for the amazing game he had versus Gonzaga, couldn't be his aggressive self versus the likes of Zed Key on the inside, which led to that career performance for Zed Key. Yeah, and I'm trying to be a fair 
a fan here and not just look through Duke blue goggles, right? Um, I mean, Theo, it, it seemed like he was so aggressive. And, and every single one of his fouls were fouls. I didn't see one of those five fouls. Right. That was a bad call. Uh, and, and so that I would agree. Our, you know, the, the only foul that I saw that was pretty ridiculous was the one at the end of uh, the first half where they called Trevor Kills as he's falling out of bounds, like, I guess, rubbing past the guy's arm yeah. as he's going for the rebound. Uh, that was the only foul call, really, that I had an issue with. And so, like, you know, a lot of Duke fans irrationally, you know, they in, any team that loses and there's a foul discrepancy, like, you know, how much there was, I think, nine uh, in this game, you know, fans are going to look to that. But at the end of the day, I felt like we did foul. We were a little bit undisciplined on defense, and and Ohio State took advantage of that. Now, on the other hand, I do feel like our guys going to the hole a few times uh, got got bumped and got hit quite often. And you know, especially a guy like Paulo. I mean, he gets anywhere near the basket, and he gets you know he, he you have to foul him hard to get for them to call a foul. Uh, so it is what it is. I mean, that's not the reason Duke lost. Duke lost that game because they were just inept offensively in the second half. That's at the end of the day, that's what happened. You can't buy buckets. I mean, like I said, they ended the game on a 20 to four Ohio State run, 12 nothing to close out the game. Duke was winning by seven, and then Ohio State finally wins by that five point margin to give the Blue Devils their first loss of the season. And now, as we said, two weeks off before Duke is back in action versus South Carolina State inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. What was uh, – I, I was ready to tweet this out as soon as the game went final, Josh. And anytime you get these kind of great tweets put together, in your head at least, you know that's when you're in trouble, or at least for me that is, or when people start texting me at halftime and I'm like, I know it's a 13-point game, but no, this is just – I don't feel too good. I need it to be all zeros on the scoreboard. But if you looked at – Tuesday's game versus Ohio State, the first loss of the year for Duke. If that game goes final, and this is still true today, even though Duke lost, Duke is 8-0 on the season at that point, the number one team in the country with not a single game against a top 25 team on their schedule, period. Think about that for a moment, given that right now Duke as the number one team in the country does not have a fellow ACC companion in the top 25 rankings. And then their three non-conference games they have left, Cleveland State, South Carolina State, Appalachian State, none of those programs really a lot to write home about. Yeah, I saw a stat, Ken Palm, uh, in the Ken Palm uh, analytics, that Duke will be favored in every single game from here on out to the end of the season. And so, um, the now, with that caveat, I, I personally believe UNC is a top 25 team, and they will For be sure. by the time we meet them. Uh, I mean, just last night they they had a, a very good outing against Michigan. Um, so I think they will be in the top 25. Um, Virginia Tech-ish, maybe. Good. Yeah. So I, I think that, that by the time we meet – now, we're, we're playing Tech early. Uh, I, I know we're playing them, I believe, on the 22nd. Um, but we're playing them early. Uh, but, but I do think that the ACC will – get some teams into the top 25, but that will not change the fact that Duke will be favored in every game uh, from here on out. And so at the end of the day, listen, the, the 1992 Duke team, which everyone says is the best Duke team that's ever been, had two regular season losses. Um, they lost to UNC. They lost to Wake Forest. Um, and so we're going to, we're not going to go undefeated that from the, we were not going to go undefeated. We were going to lose a game. So for me, it's a non-conference game. It's before Christmas. It's going to wake these guys up. They got two weeks. Think about it. 
these guys that have the will to win that yeah. Wendell Moore Jr. has and Paula Bencaro have, they have two weeks now to, to sit and fume over this loss before we come back. And I just think we'll come back better um, as a result of it. Did you see the clip from Nick Saban before the Iron Bowl this past week about kind of getting frustrated with fans thinking that uh, they care more about the uh, wins and losses than the athletes? Because that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now when you're saying that uh, with these Duke players having to sit there for two weeks and kind of bite their tongues wanting to get out there on the floor. Yeah, for sure. I mean, fans are so spoiled, and that that was – I felt like what he was saying was perfect for Duke basketball fans. Uh, and, and I think that his originated from people saying that Alabama was not winning by enough points, right? They weren't <laughs> blowing people out. And, you know, and he was, you know, I love what he said. Like, do you think these guys don't want to win? Like they want to win more than you want to win. And right. so I think it's a great perspective, man. I know sometimes as a fan, you can get frustrated with players and, and certainly players play well and they, they don't play well. But I think it's good to, like, take a step back every now and then and realize just like the Duke social media team did the following morning, evidently the replies got so heated, they basically came out and said, listen, we support our guys no matter what. And, like, I don't know who needs to hear this, but and, – and I think we need to – we need to, do need to take a step back, man. These are kids, man, 18 to 22 years old. Um, think about – I think back to that time in my life if I was on a national stage. Right. Uh, I, think, I think it's very good. I appreciated every word that Coach Saban said. Without a doubt, Josh Cox from Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast is joining us here today on Locked On Blue Devils. Two weeks without Duke basketball as uh, final exams are going on, a little bit of time off for the guys, and like we said, three non-conference games before jumping into ACC competition. And the point is true that North Carolina uh, looks to be a top 25 team. And like you said, I think there are other teams. I think we've seen Florida State be really good. Over the past few seasons, Virginia the same way, although this is certainly not a Virginia Cavalier team coached by Tony Bennett that we've seen in the years past. And Coach K has always had Tony Bennett's number. Uh, But even Syracuse looks improved this year. They've already got a couple of big wins on their schedule. So I do think some of those rankings will change in that sort of thing. Let's transition now to football as Duke loses their final game of the season to Miami, 47-10. to And then, uh, you know, we kind of posed the question last week, if it were to be the end for David Cutcliffe, what would it mean for the program? And that sort of thing. Loved what you had to say. Folks could go find that on social media. Uh, Duke Football Talk clipped your comments uh, out there on Twitter. We now know David Cutcliffe is uh, no longer the head football coach for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, Trooper Taylor, the interim, and now this program kind of moves forward. What was it like kind of reacting to that news as it was all coming out, Josh? Yeah, so um, our podcast, we, we, we pride ourselves on kind of being in the know and like being right there. And I run uh, probably 90% of our Twitter um, page. I'm running that. Jamie runs the other part. By the way, Jamie got into it with some Tennessee volunteer fans. That was all Jamie yesterday, and that was pretty funny. Um, but, uh, but so we're like, okay, as soon as we hear, and we were thinking Monday. From all the what we had heard that they were going to wait until Monday to disclose this. So I'm working Sunday afternoon helping a nonprofit here in our town. And I set my phone down in my in my coat while I'm working. And sure enough, I left it for about 45 minutes. And sure, when I got back, I had 46 text messages <laughs> sitting on my phone. Like um, one a minute, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even I mean it, it was it was crazy. And so we missed the breaking news by about 30 minutes, but that was fine. Um, but we were expecting it. There were, I will say this, um, there were players that were not expecting it um at all. 
Um, it came to a complete surprise to some of the players. Uh, there was a meeting on Sunday afternoon before the news broke, um, and players were were definitely surprised. And that just shows you that a lot of times we talk, uh, some journalists, media members talk, our podcast we talk, um, and, and we see things. But, you know, those players, they get so focused in on what's going on, winning and losing football games, that they don't hear that stuff. Yeah. And so the fact that it was a surprise to players – uh, kind of puts it in perspective uh, for us fans that have been whining about it or have been calling for him to move on. Uh, those players hadn't been. They've been trying to win football games. Um, and so we were expecting it. I do think it was interesting, and just to say this, uh, noting noting that he did not retire, uh, but they came to an agreement to part ways. And um, I won't say – I'll, I'll choose my words wisely here. I believe that shows that Nina King – um, had to show some real leadership through this um, because I don't believe that that David Cutcliffe handed his retirement to her on a silver platter. So I believe she had to work through this with him and they had to come to an agreement to part ways as opposed to him simply retiring. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back at Better Than Ever, a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your sports. Bet online where the game starts. And now the program must move forward. I talked about it recapping the Miami game earlier in the week. Uh, quickly in college football, the names go all over the place. The coaching carousel is so hard to keep up with. And Duke is in a position where this is really important to kind of get the next head football coach settled be able to start building a program in your vision in a new way. But every other coach in America or college in America that's big on the national football or college football level kind of feels like they're looking for a head coach as well. So it's going to be interesting to see who Duke kind of winds up with. And then the other side in all of this is that we're less than a week away from the end of the regular season. And there is like 5 million names already in the transfer portal for players that are already trying to move on and make decisions, including a couple of Duke football guys uh, that I've already discussed, notably Gunnar Holmberg, Jake Bobo, Lummy Young IV. Uh, but uh, kind of wild to see how quickly things really do move nowadays in 2021 once you get to the end of a football season. Yeah, it's certainly a coaching carousel. Um, it, it definitely is uh, from the top, from those high-level LSU USC, now Oklahoma, Notre Dame. Right. All of those jobs uh, opening up um, down to Virginia Techs and then down to the Dukes, right? So there's like a – there's a domino effect that happens. Uh, you know, think about Marcus Freeman was a guy that was on the list, uh, everyone's list for Duke to, to interview. And then the Brian Kelly thing happens and he goes to LSU and then Notre Dame calls him. Right. And obviously, if you have that opportunity, that you're going to take that opportunity. Uh, so things are, are definitely, um, yeah, we're not really sure right now. I do think it's notable that only three Duke players have entered the transfer portal. 
Um, I would have expected it to be more than that. Right. Um, and what that tells me, well, number one, it tells me two things. It tells me that players are waiting to waiting around to see what Nina King does um, and who she brings in. Number two, it tells me that that Duke degree really does mean something. I believe guys who have not yet secured their undergrad degree from Duke are thinking, hey, listen, I, I got this scholarship, yes, to play football, but I also got this scholarship knowing that football will be done. Mm-hmm. and that I've got to go out and I've got to make a living. And, man, what better way to do that than walking into an, uh, an interview with a, a, a Duke diploma. So uh, I do think we're seeing the at least the fruits of that. Pretty good on their part. I mean, that's a, a pretty good problem to have for these Duke football players. All right, so as we start to look forward into 2022, which you said it's so hard to keep up with, every day uh, things change. This is the Thursday show this week on Lockdown Blue Devils. By the time this is over, Josh – we could, uh, as we're recording right now, who knows, we could learn of more names and more things happening in the in the world. But who are some candidates potentially that you think could be uh, the next head football coach for Duke or that you've kind of been hearing or seeing out there on the internet? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, a couple of them that are off the board. We mentioned Marcus Freeman already. Um, and then what we found out today uh, as being Thursday, by this afternoon, Mike Houston, uh, the head coach at East Carolina, uh, is supposed to be signing his extension today. Um, and so, uh, for the most part, his name um, is now off the board. And he was on every list. Every list that I saw had Mike Houston. Mike Houston had been at James Madison um, and had won there big time before taking the job at East Carolina. And so, those two guys are off the list. Um, I'll give you a list of names. Now, some of these guys are on every list. Some of these guys are on random lists. The Athletic put out a list. Uh, that had so, uh, several names on it. The Duke Chronicle, the student newspaper, put out a list. Uh, 24-7 Sports, Adam Rowe, he put out a list. Um, and so there are – and then Steve Wiseman put out a small list as well. Uh, so there are, <laughs> you know, and, and there Lists are some – everywhere, yeah. There are, and there's some that cross over. And so what, I'm, what, I'll, what I'll do is kind of some of these guys that may have been on more than one, you know, list. One of them that's on every list is Jeff Monken. He's the current head coach at Army. And um, I would say that he's an older guy. He's in his 50s. Um, one of the things that I would look for there would be uh, if he would be willing to come and be the head coach at Duke and not bring the triple option uh, with him and to be willing to hand over the offense to an offensive coordinator who would have a little bit of a different flair. I don't think Duke has any desire to become Georgia Tech 2.0. Uh, and so at, at least let me just – I hope we don't. Right. That's just me selfishly. I mean, I would pull for Duke football no matter what, but, man, I really don't want to sit up there and watch three yards in the cloud of dust, you know, every 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 uh, down. So, But Jeff Monken is, and he's been very successful um, there at Army. He only makes around a million dollars a year uh, there at Army. So money – by the way, money talks and all of this. Yes, it does. So Cutcliffe was around 2.6 to $2.7 million a year. So just to keep that in mind. Tim Banks is the current defensive coordinator at Tennessee – um, now, I've not seen his name on the Duke end much, but there was a, an, a couple of articles that came out through like the Tennessee 24-7 sports uh, that list that said he was in contention for the Duke job. Um, Tennessee Twitter was not a fan of that. As we found out yesterday, we had to turn our notifications off because it got so rough. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we just mentioned it on, on through our Twitter account, and it, <laughs> it blew up, to say the least. But Tim Banks is one to keep our eyes on. Jeff Elko um, is the current defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. 
Um, and his name has gotten brought up. He's in his mid forties, uh, got a lot of energy. The only issue there that I see is he's already making $2.1 million as the defensive coordinator um, there at Texas A&M. And so I'm, as I said, money talks and I'm not sure that we could pay him uh, what he would want. Um, Josh Gaddis. Now, if you're asking personally, like just me individually, he is my favorite. Um, he grew up in Durham. He went to high school here at Northern High School. In fact, he lived five minutes north of where I'm sitting right now. How about that? <laughs> um, and Josh played at Northern. Uh, he was recruited and played football at Wake Forest uh, in, in, during the Jim Grobe years. And he then went on to do some uh, low, lower-end coaching at Alabama. And then now he's the offensive coordinator at Michigan. Now, what people have noted is that Harbaugh has taken over more of the play-calling duties at Michigan. Uh, and maybe Gaddis may not be the best X's and O's guy. But here's my thing. A head coach kind of sits above the X's and O's a little bit. And I think that that's why you have coordinators and position coaches. And I feel like what's more important uh, for a head coach is can he manage egos? Yep. Can he build culture? Um, can he can he resolve conflict? And so those would be my questions about Josh. I don't know Josh personally, but those would be my questions more than, hey, how much of the offense were you really in charge of? To me, it's, hey, can you manage an organization? For sure. Called group football. For sure. And so I love Josh Gaddis. Here's what I like. I like that idea. Yeah, he's got local ties. So he played football here in high school. Um, he played college football here. So he would know high school and college football coaches around the state of North Carolina. Going to Wake Forest, he understands being in a system where academics um, is important and it's a smaller private school. So, so Duke and Wake Forest are very much similar in that state. And then, you know, he had some great experience, man, uh, being in the, the Bama program, being in the Michigan program. I think all that comes back. I think that's a, that will be a home run. I don't know if that will happen, but I think that will be a home run. Um, one, one that we've seen recently here is Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator from the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he's made a couple of lists, and so I don't know much about him. I'll just throw him out there. Um, and then one that we've seen on list, uh, Scotty Montgomery. Scotty was the former um, uh, offensive coordinator at Duke, obviously played wide receiver here back in the day. Um, but he did go to ECU and in three seasons was 9-26. and 26. Uh, He's currently the running backs coach at the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I love Scotty Montgomery as a person. I'm not sure that, that he's ready for that. Fair. Uh, but, hey, I mean, it would be Duke culture. The two guys that I'll mention that that I've not seen on list per se, but they're obvious guys. One of them is extremely obvious. Uh, the not-so-obvious one is Will Healy. We love Will Healy. Uh, he's at Charlotte. The program, the, the school only has had football for three seasons, um, and he's done well there. We like his energy. They beat our butts in the first game of the season. Um, and so, you know, that's got to that's gotta say something. So, Will Healy, but I, but from what we've seen, he's not on anyone's list. And then the other one is Jamie Chadwell at Coastal. To think about all that's happened in the, in the country so far uh, with the co- coaching carousel and the fact that Jamie Chadwell is just chilling. He's yeah. just sitting at Turtle Beach, and we're not hearing anything from it. And, man, they've had an incredible two to three seasons there uh, under his uh, leadership. And so – all that to say, all those names, we have no idea. And I would caution Duke fans that are on Twitter, that are looking through message boards, that are doing whatever. No one knows. No one. 
And if they act like they know, they don't. They do not know. And so, um, you know, we've heard rumblings that they've not even had a formal interview yet with anyone, uh, which December 15th, that early signing period, kicks off here in less than two weeks, uh, which I believe would be important for us to get somebody you know, in by that time. But, hey, listen, at the end of the day, uh, Duke fans wanted Cutcliffe gone, most of them. And so now we have to trust the process that Nina King is going to go through. And I and we will. I will be 100% behind anybody that comes and coaches this team. And so it's, it'll just be interesting to see if any one of these guys on the list I just said – is the guy or yeah. someone we have no idea. No, I love that. That's a great breakdown of possible candidates. Josh Cox is here from Duke Football Talks Section 17 podcast. The thing to me, as you said, is obviously the timing of all of this because that December 15th clock is definitely ticking with early signing periods. You want to get some guys in as early enrollees if they want to be done with high school and start the transition to college football. So you need to have a coach in place. You know, conference championship weekend is coming up. And a lot of times by the end of this weekend, by Sunday, you see several coaches kind of making a decision and that sort of thing. So uh, I'd honestly be surprised if it's um, if after a couple of days from conference championship weekend, we still don't know who the Duke football coach is. I'd be a little surprised, to be honest. I think they're probably working very quietly uh, behind closed doors trying to make this happen. Look, man, we got we've got Duke fans following private jet flight patterns it's the best time of the year (laughs) yeah who's coming into rdu from which cities and (laughs) and so you know uh, it's crazy it's it's funny what you can do nowadays with technology and trying to figure some of the stuff out but you mentioned something earlier jj about uh, how many guys have entered the transfer portal and that's also a thing because you know you can you can turn a, a program around in a year if you hit that transfer portal properly and your recruiting is good. And so that's another reason why I believe, uh, you know, the time needs to be sooner rather than later, because there's a ton of guys that have already announced and they're already getting offers from other, other universities. And so we definitely need to get our, our hat in the mix there for sure. Make sure you check out the section 17 podcast, a great uh, recap of the David Cutcliffe era and everything that's taken place over there and give them a five-star rating and review. And thanks again for listening to Locked on Blue Devils each and every day. Josh Cox, you're the absolute best. Always appreciate the time you spend with me. And uh, let's enjoy these couple of weeks without Duke basketball. We'll be back at it before you know it, man. Absolutely, JJ. Thanks for having me again. Josh Cox joining us here today on Locked on Blue Devils.